I'm Alex Chadwick. This is the Life Stories Collection. The Life Stories Collection comes from a series of radio pieces made in recent months and over many years by producer Jay Allison, working with Christina Egloff and friends and neighbors, collaborators, sometimes with strangers, with people who would agree to borrow and use one of his tape recorders. These are stories about life, everyday life, as we live it and as we record it. In this hour, we have a single story, a teacher's diary. During her first year teaching fifth grade in a Chicago public school, Esme Codell kept a journal, which became the basis for this program. It's read by Esme and mixed with music from her record collection, which she often played in class. It's produced by Jay Allison and Christina Egloff. June 21st. I'm not quite a teacher yet. That is, I haven't had a class of my own. That's in September, if I last, and if the new school opens on time. I'm surprised Mr. Turner hired me, only 24 years old, to help him open a brand new public school. You would think he would want someone more experienced. The interview was very brief. He asked, how would you describe your classroom discipline style? I answered, assertive. He said, what does that mean? It means... I say what I mean, and I mean what I say, I replied. Well, say you're having a problem with a student. How would you deal with it? I would document the child's behavior and then try interventions, such as using successive approximations towards our goal or home involvement, depending on the individual situation, I explained. After a silence between us, I added, I wouldn't call the office every five minutes. He closed the little notebook on his lap and announced, you're hired. August 5th. Today I got to see my classroom for the first time. Only two things bugged me. One, there were four bullet holes in the window perpendicular to the chalkboard. Mr. Turner says the window will be replaced by the time the kids arrive. The other thing, which is a really weird, ungrateful thing, is that it didn't smell like a school which is usually a kind of combination of kitchen cleanser and fish sandwiches. When I think of being a teacher, I always think of smelling that smell to my heart's content. August 5th. There was an assembly with all of the children who were coming to the new school. I approached Mr. Turner. If you have an intention of introducing me, would you please call me Miss Esme rather than Ms. Codell? I was surprised at how surprised he looked. He said, that's against board policy. I replied that in all the other classrooms I had worked in, that's what the children called me. It's not your legal name, he smiled helplessly. Well, certainly it is. Your last name. Well, let's pretend I haven't got a last name. I'll be like Chardet. He laughed heartily at this, and I laughed too. But then he said, well, I think we'll call you Ms. Codell. You can call me what you like, I smiled and tried to maintain a pleasant tone, but we'll see what name I answer to. We made eye contact. He turned away and mumbled something about women's livers. He introduced me as Ms. Esme. September 18th. Sorry I haven't written. A lot has been going on, as you can probably imagine. 
setting up my classroom at long last was very exciting. I had to arrange the chairs. I noticed the other teachers arranging the desks so children would be sitting in cooperative small groups. I kept thinking that that was politically correct. I should do it like that. But somehow, it took all of the romance out of the first day of school when you're supposed to feel very formal and alien, a day when your thoughts are very new and personal. So I decided to be more traditional and put the desks in rows. Besides, I want to seem really mean for a while. I bought black pointy lace-up boots like a witch to wear for the first day to add to the dramatic effect. It's a very ancient saying, but a true and honest thought that if you become a teacher, by your pupils you'll be taught. As a teacher I've been learning, and forgive me if I fall. There's a spelling center with spelling games, a typewriter, an electric wiggle pen, a box of cornmeal and sponge letters with tempera paint for kids to practice their spelling words. There's also an art center with bins of new juicy markers, craft books, real art books with pictures of naked people, and goodies such as glitter, old wrapping paper, and colored glues. My piece de resistance is my 3D paper mache poster with five multi-ethnic kids' heads sticking out that says, Welcome to Cool School. One of the kids is wearing a real pair of purple sunglasses. I like the girl with steel wool red hair. I had to make the kids' heads out of wire first. It took a lot of work to make, but it is gorgeous if I do say so myself. If I were a kid and I saw this, I would just die. The older teachers shook their heads and told me my room looked overstimulating, which means they're totally jealous because I have the most insanely beautiful classroom ever of all time. Oh God, I have beautiful portraits of explorers over the chalkboard. The cloakroom has a cutout panorama of international open air market. There's a learning center with flags of all nations. I'm sorry, this room is so fun, it's sickening. I feel sorry for any kid who is not in this room. So, first day. Of the 30-some kids, all the kids were black, except for about five Mexican kids and one girl who was Pakistani. Then I looked them over and thought, this is my destiny to have this group of children before me. As they were growing, aging to be fifth graders, I was training. And now we meet in this unique place and time. The moment felt holy. I gave them my speech about how mean I was and how I've taught football players and cowboys and dinosaurs and Martians, so a few fifth graders aren't too challenging, but I need the money, so I'd give it a shot. I told them they were going to have to work harder than they ever have in their whole lives, so if they want extra credit, they should get a head start on sweating. I told them if they didn't have their supplies by Monday, they already will have earned a demerit on their report card for lack of preparedness. I showed them my one golden rule, treat others the way you would like to be treated, written out in gold glitter. September 26th. In the morning, three things happen religiously. I say, good morning, real chipper to every single child, and make sure they say good morning back. Then I collect troubles in a trouble basket, a big green basket into which the children pantomime unburdening their home worries so they can concentrate on school. Sometimes a kid has no troubles, sometimes a kid piles it in, and I in turn pantomime bearing the burden. 
Finally, before they can come in, they must give me a word, which I print on a piece of tagboard, and they keep in an envelope. It can be any word, but preferably one they've heard and don't really know, or one that is personally meaningful. A lot of times the kids ask for Mississippi, just to make me spell it. Then the national anthem blares over the intercom. The kids sing with more gusto now that we shout, play ball, at the end. We had our first conflict resolution meeting. Ozzy raised his hand to have a conflict resolved with Ashworth. What happened that you didn't like? He, no, we're not telling on people. Tell him, I didn't like it when you... Ozzy nodded. Ashworth, I didn't like it when you tried to kiss me. Laughter. I tried to model composure. The class collected themselves. And how did this make you feel? Made me feel gay. Off to a running start. September 27th. After lunch each day, I read aloud to them. We push the desks out of the way and turn off all the lights, except for an antique Victorian desk lamp I have. It is a very cozy time. I was reading them The Hundred Dresses by Eleanor Estes about a Polish immigrant girl who is so poor that she wears the same dress to school every day, but insists that she has a hundred dresses lined up in her closet. The girls tease her mercilessly until she moves away. Her antagonists discover that she really did have a hundred dresses, a hundred beautiful drawings of dresses. Well, everything was quiet at the end, but then Ashworth asked if he could whisper something in my ear. He whispered, I have to tell the class something, and discreetly showed me that he was missing half of a finger. It was a very macabre moment, but I didn't flinch. I faced him towards the class and put my hands on his shoulders. He was trembling terribly. Ashworth has something personal to share with you. I hope you will keep in mind the hundred dresses when he tells you. I, I, I only have nine and a half fingers, he choked. Please don't tease me about it. He held up his hands. Mm. The class hummed, impressed, then was silent as Ashworth shifted on his feet. Finally, Billy called out, I'll kick the ass of anyone who makes fun of you. Yeah, me too, said Kirk. Yeah, Ash, you just tell us anyone from another class mess with you, we're going to beat their ass up and down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The class became united in the spirit of ass-kicking. Ashworth sighed and smiled at me. The power of literature. September 29th, new girl, Esther, from Haiti. Dark, eyes darting, frightened. She's got a record of fighting from her other school, my vice principal, Ms. Coyle, informed me. Who asked her? Salut, mon ami, I welcomed her. Her shoulders dropped, relaxed. Her smile is beautiful and full of mischief. The kids like something new I made the thinking cap. It's an oversized hat made of prismatic gold paper 
with a long prismatic paper tree coming out about two feet off of the top. It says, Thinking Cap, in black press-on letters across the front. Kids who need more time to give a good answer use it. The kids have become very thoughtful since it's been introduced. October 1st. I took some students over to a university science fair for children. The bus was converged upon by gang members who were throwing rocks at the windows. I watched the windows tremble, the loud cracking, right next to the children's heads. Some of them were only four years old, pre-kindergartners, accompanying older siblings. It was terrifying. There were so many around the bus, they looked old, even my age. Whether they would start shooting at us crossed my mind. It seemed illogical, but I felt afraid. I recognized one boy in the rabble as he threw a rock. I felt angry. The bus pulled away. I felt very, very angry. Mr. Turner was there, watching the whole thing from his office window, but he didn't do anything. October 21st. The children call me Madame Esme. There's no good reason for that title. It was just a present I gave myself that first day of school. It's a bone of contention with my principal. In a closed-door conference in his office, Mr. Turner has told me that the name distracts from the learning process. I told him if the children can't handle the idea that people have different names, why don't we just throw in the towel right now? Mr. Turner cannot make eye contact with me. I know you think it's the name of someone who runs a whorehouse, I say cheerfully, but there are other meanings. Madame Montessori, for instance, was not a whore, as far as I know. Well, I have the children's best interests at heart. Really? Well, from where I sit, I don't think this has to do with the children at all. This is a power trip. This whole thing's stupid. It's not about Madame at all. It's about you telling me to do something for no reason, and me doing it. You just want to see me pucker up. I'll have you written up, he barks, stands up, sits down, stands up, points upward to the imaginary heavenly bureaucrat to whom he plans to send his complaint. It will go on your permanent record. Is that the same record upon which my seventh grade misbehavior in gym is documented? I feign concern. I received legal consultation. If you refer to yourself as Madame again, I'm warning you, I'll pursue a court case. Really? Well, when I called the ACLU, they seemed to think that you're the silly one. The ACLU? His eyebrows dropped fearfully. That the teacher's union? You didn't call the teacher's union, did you? October 25th. Random thoughts. The kids keep journals. They can write in it during free reading if they choose. If they don't want me to read it, they put an E with a circle and a line through it at the top of the page, a symbol for no Esmes allowed. I read them anyways, but I don't tell. Showed the miracle worker. The kids like the part where Annie Sullivan and Helen are duking it out over the dinner table. I cried at the end. The kids thought that was funny. I'm going to show classic movies after school every two weeks. I got in trouble for having popcorn in class. Esther hasn't fist-fought anyone since she's been in my room, but she keeps putting voodoo spells on people. 
It was funny at first, but now it's making the kids a little spooked. I called in her father for a conference. He speaks mostly French, so he brought Esther's religious tutor to translate. He wore a long, brightly colored muumuu and an elaborate headdress. He looked very striking, like a king. I told him that I was pleased with the progress Esther was making academically, but socially, she had to stop putting voodoo spells on people. The tutor laughed disarmingly. Oh, oh don't worry, she can't work the magic yet. I explained that regardless of whether or not the spells were actually taking effect, I felt it was inappropriate for her to be having religious practices in our secular setting. This way, I explained, everyone is equal. Christians, Jews, <laughs> Jews, <laughs> Jews. This was very funny for some reason. They were still laughing as they left and both shook my hand warmly. The father promised she would not cast any more spells in class. Esther is my secret favorite. November 3rd. Assembly today. National Anthem. Oh no, I thought. Will they? A small group of voices enthusiastically added the postscript. Play ball! Mr. Turner stepped up to the mic. All right, who did that? Nobody peeped. They had no homework today as reward for showing good judgment when it counted most. November 19th. The kids like the Greek myths. We've been studying them for a few weeks. They were impressed that Cronus ate his children. I think some of them have fathers who have dispositions like Cronus. They loved the story of the kidnapping of Persephone especially when I ripped open the pomegranate, fruit of the dead, and red juice dribbled down my wrists. Oh! They're tracing and cutting out the shape of their bodies and coloring them in as themselves, as their favorite god. This dispelled some of their anger that none of the Greek gods were black. December 17th. We had our Christmas assembly. It was supposed to be an international theme, so I had my kids do a Cajun Christmas. I chose a Zydeco song in French, with translated goes something like, my darling, my dear, you little flirt, nobody does it like you do. It had nothing to do with Christmas, but based upon the amount of idiocy I've contended with, I surmised that nobody would notice. I had them make their own costumes, all the boys and some of the girls were going to be alligators from the bayou and would dance with girls in red dresses with poinsettias in their hair. Red and green, get it? Meanwhile, a large twinkling Christmas tree would sway in the background. I gave Contessa, lolloping and clumsy, the special task of introducing our festive fiasco. The line was, here come the good times, Cajun style which she said the first multitude of times as, here come the good times, Asian style. This caused me a lot of chagrin, thinking then that people would mistake our alligators for Godzilla's. I tried to impress upon her the importance of word choice in this case, to which she suggested I assign another girl to the job. I declined, insisting nobody could do it as well as she could if only this small detail could be perfected. 
She sighed and rehearsed, evolving into here come the good times Haitian style, and then to the correct Cajun style, under the mercy of our maker. It was a success. My class was the most attractive, most festive, most ambitious, most original, and noisiest. They were the sexiest, most smiling, most intricate, most cooperative. They made me proud. They made themselves proud. January 12th. Billy Williams is just out of control. He stands up behind his desk. You're always giving us homework. You ain't never give us no free time in class. I hate you, he roars. I'm sorry you're angry, but I love you. And I won't allow you to fail. I mostly say this because I know it just drives them crazy. Dang, dang, you're always saying you love us. You love me nothing, me, woman. Oh, you think it's so hard to be on your side of the desk, I told Billy. But you sure make it hard from where I stand. I'm sick of it. How about you teach tomorrow? The class went up for grabs. Shit, that's your job. I ain't doing it. I put up a thumb for attention. All was quiet. Here's the deal, Billy. You teach tomorrow or you be suspended for swearing, arguing, and not doing your work. You take your pick. Billy looked like he would kill me. January 13th, the next day. I got a hold of the intercom. The morning bell had rung. Would Mr. Williams please pick up his students? The class waited outside, delighted, in a perfect line. Billy was hiding in the boys' room. I waited for him. Finally, he emerged. You really gonna make me do this? You got to help me. Just for a day. All day? You're crazy. No, I'm Billy. I took off his jacket and headphones and put them on. He's as big as me, so they fit. I put one of my boyfriend Jim's ties around his neck. Guy ain't gone, brother man. He didn't think my imitation was funny. The rest of the class did. Billy tried to take attendance. There's some boys still out in the coat room, I heard Selena point out. I was having fun hanging out with B.B. and Kirk. Come out of there! Billy stuck his head in. How am I supposed to take attendance? Damn! Beebe and Kirk, realizing the consequences that Billy would deliver after school should they not cooperate, reluctantly went to their seats. I moseyed. Come on, I'm going to give you five dictionary definitions to copy, Billy warned me. Dang, man, don't have a baby. I'll get there when I get there. If that ain't good enough for you, well, ain't that too bad. I leered. Billy maintained his character, looking slightly saddened, but ignored me. He got everybody lined up for art in the room across the hall. He let them enter and then proceeded himself. I stopped him. Where do you think you're going? You have lesson plans to prepare. Lucky for you, it's a double period. We went to the teacher's lounge. I brought books with various science experiments in them. He finally decided on paper airplanes. He had to choose which pages to make handouts from. He ran the copy machine, then he took notes for background knowledge. Billy picked up the class and took them to the washroom. 
By now, the novelty of the situation was on the wane, and the children were in full form. Two girls started smacking each other. Cut it out, Billy broke it up. They went back at it. Don't make me suspend, y'all. You can't suspend us, Billy Williams. That's Madame Billy Williams today, he corrected. And I believe I can. The girls looked at me, then Billy, laughed nervously and fell into line. Walking back, I followed about six feet behind the rest of the class, like Billy does. Come on, your highness, Billy imitated. Dang, dang, you're always ragging on me, I railed. Five definitions. You hate me, I clenched my fist. You hate me because I'm black. I love you, he retorted, but I don't always love the choices that you make. When we returned to the classroom, Billy added a letter W to the H-O-M-E that was already spelled out on the board from yesterday. If it spells homework on Friday, that's what they get. The kids howled. That's for fighting and arguing in the hall. Y'all know better. The kids continued to complain noisily. Next time, you'll make a better choice, he consoled. I had to hand it to him. Now, Mr. Williams and elephants never forget, he sing-songed, using one of my pet phrases. Social studies test. Oh, the kids complained, none louder than me. We ain't got to do what the teacher says. He ain't the boss of us. I tried to incite mutiny as Billy does whenever a test is mentioned. He ain't said nothing about no test. Says here on the board, T-E-S-T, -E which I believe spells test, and T-H-U-R-S-D-A-Y, which I believe spells today, Billy reminded us. So get out your pencils, which should already be as sharp as I know your answers will be. I nearly fainted. For a kid who doesn't do what I say, he sure hears what I say. Throughout the test, I made a point of leaning over to see Eric's answers, tossing paper at kids' heads for their attention, and sighing audibly with frustration. Billy sent me a mixed assortment of disapproving looks. Finally, I turned in a C test, figuring that was at least a full grade above his average. I let Mr. Williams off the hook at the last period of the day, assigning a composition the day Billy Williams was our teacher. I wrote a composition during the period, too, the day Madame Esme was Billy Williams. At the end of the day, I read it to the class about how I had forgotten how hard it is not to chew gum, how uncomfortable the seats were, what a pain it is to have to go to the washroom with the class when you don't even have to go, how scary it is when you forget to study, how easy it is to feel stupid, even if you're smart. I let Billy have my composition, and he took the rest home to grade. After school, I complimented Billy on a job well done, and that I thought he would be a fine teacher someday, if that's what he chose. I ain't choosing it, he grumbled, smiling. Too hard. I gave Billy my old harmonica from when I was 11, and told him I'd teach him to play it, if he still wanted me for a teacher. January 20th. Had a field trip to the Seltzer Regional Library this past week. Seven parents said they'd help me chaperone, 
none showed up. I finally found two parents from other classrooms who said they'd help if I bought them lunch. February 1st. Well, they stabbed the substitute today, in the back, with a pencil. The paramedic said it was only a flesh wound. She didn't press any charges. She just went home. I sat behind my desk and looked at them. They were sitting very nicely. The mood in the room was somewhat pleasant. I had only been gone twenty minutes. Mr. Turner called me out to troubleshoot some computer problem. When I came back, the substitute was gone. In twenty minutes, had they really managed to stab someone? Would anyone tell me why? I asked, genuinely curious. It's your fault, Contessa grinned. My fault, I laughed incredulously. Yes, explained Selina. You're the one who's always telling us. Treat people the way you would like to be treated. Well, she told Dina she was fat, and she told Contessa she was stupid. She ain't treat us like we like to be treated. I see, I mashed down the smile that I felt humming behind my lips. But I wonder, did you treat her as she would like to be treated when you stabbed her in the back? With a pencil, offered Kirk. Yes, thank you, Kirk, with a pencil. She didn't die, Contessa reminded me. No, she didn't. You only wounded her. You didn't kill her. Very good. I tried to be encouraging. But there seems to be some misunderstanding. You see, you have to treat people as you would like to be treated, even in the event that they are ignorant and don't treat you as you would like to be treated. That's the tricky part. You must follow the golden rule, even if others are stupid and don't know it themselves. The children now hung their heads. I'm sorry. I should have explained it more clearly. Perhaps it is my fault, I suggested. A heavy silence hung. We'll do better next time, Contessa called out brightly. Yeah, we get it now, said Kirk. We're sorry. Don't say you're sorry to me, I said. I'm not the one with a pencil stuck in my back. The children laughed at this, reminisced briefly about the humor in seeing a pencil in someone's back, and began working industriously from their texts. At the end of the period, I joked, May I assign homework, or will I then need to watch my back? Not you, Madame Esme, said Selina. That made me feel a little better. February 7th. We just finished a unit about Native Americans. To culminate the unit, we had a powwow. We painted our faces and made headdresses according to research and learned as authentic a rain dance as we could find. We had a naming ceremony in which we went in a circle and someone would volunteer to give that person a name that capitalized on some positive feature. It was a very thoughtful time. Joanne was given girl of many questions. Dina was given girl with cheeks like smiling chipmunk. Ozzy was boy who draws like crazy. Monique was hair that flows like water. I was pleased that the children stayed encouraging in the names they gave. I wrote out each name as it was decided upon on a badge for the student to wear. Then the children named me woman with many children. They wore their costumes down to lunch. They were very quiet in the hall. Miss Coyle commented on this. Why aren't you making noise like wild Indians? 
Tobias, the line captain, looked disdainful. We're Iroquois, not Cherokee, he said, by way of explanation. Like every successful day, it seems, it ended by getting called into the office. I did Native Americans when I taught kindergarten, boasted Ms. Coyle. That's nice. I had them dress up, too. Don't you think fifth grade is kind of old for dress-up? They were comfortable enough, I shrugged. I noticed here by your lesson plans that you didn't quiz them after each tribe. Ugh, I couldn't help grunting out loud at the thought of so many quizzes. Maybe next time, woman with many children, she read my badge. Yeah, maybe, big chief micromanager. Nobody around here seems to like my brand of humor. February 12th. Draggy thing this week. Mr. Turner looking at my breasts. Takes all the joy out of wearing a leotard. Proceeded to ask me to do a school-wide promotion of milk. February 28th. I make the kids do so much math, an hour and a half straight every day. It's because I was so bad at it. I want them to be good. They were having trouble multiplying double digits. It's tricky how you're supposed to move stuff around as you bring it down to add. So we got out huge pieces of butcher paper and wrote problems on them, and I masking taped them to the floor. Put on muchacha from Bells Are Ringing. I started dancing on the butcher paper, making my feet do the math. Forward, multiply the ones. Back, bring it down. Side, the ones column by the tens. Back, down and over. Side, multiply the tens by the ones. Back, extra step and over. On and on. Soon all the kids were dancing on problems. Then we did some multiplication at our desks. Pretend your pencils are your feet, I instructed as the music played. Much improved. Got a nice letter from Tobias. Thank you for teaching us the distributive cha-cha. It really helped me. P.S. The cha-cha and distributive math are sort of fun. March 6th. The children did good visual and oral reports about different vertebrates. Melanie did her report about the rat. In the center, she had glued on specimens clearly labeled rat poo droppings. Her presentation, though not particularly scholarly, was definitely pragmatic. She instructed us, take care to tuck in the sides of your blankets or they'll climb up onto your bed. It's really awful. March 28th. At conflict resolution meeting, Zykina confronted Carl. I didn't like it when you said you were going to take me doggy style. It made me feel angry and upset. The class, of course, roared, but collected themselves so rapidly I did not even need to settle them down. I was proud of them controlling themselves. I never said that, said Carl. Lying, but again, I didn't participate. Selena broke in. It doesn't matter what you think you did, she articulated. It matter what Zykina think you did. Use the information to change what you do in the future. I was floored. What do you want in the future? mediated Rochelle. I guess I just don't want you to say anything at all to me in the future. Don't, don't speak to me. The class looked at Carl. His face was pained, devastated. 
denial, his exit door had been blocked off. He looked bloodless, shocked, leaning forward on his knuckles. The class waited. In the future, I won't speak to you, he squeaked. His face contorted with a certain shame, his mouth pulled tight in agony. It was profound. I held back, observed. Conflict solved? Rochelle asked. If he does what he said, it is, said Zykina. The class clapped. Then Zawila said, I have a comment. She was recognized. That must have been embarrassing for Zykina to say in front of everyone. I applaud her for saying it. All the girls clapped again. Poor Carl looks shot. I thought of interjecting something in his defense. Perhaps he didn't know. But really, there's no defense. And now he knows. Carl cried a lot today. April 1st. I'm glad I didn't yell at LaTanya today. I almost yelled, This is the fourth day in a row. You're a half hour late. You're missing important math instruction. I don't appreciate having to repeat myself. But then I remembered I promised myself to try not to single children out for public humiliation, but talk and listen privately instead. Is there a reason you've been late four days in a row? I asked her alone in the hall. We're in a shelter this week, she explained, and I have to drop my little sister off and take the train over. It takes longer than I thought. I'm sorry, I'll be with my aunt next week, and then I can walk over. Don't apologize, I said. I'm proud of you for coming each day. It wouldn't be the same here without you now. Don't you forget that. And even though we can't wait for you, if you miss an explanation in math, you just ask me or a classmate. For the rest of the day, I was glad I listened instead of yelled. But I still burned with shame at the thought of what I almost said and at all the occasions I have spoken harshly. April 15th. Well, I can't seem to find a single thing wrong with your work. Mr. Turner came into my classroom when I was alone. But sometimes, your attitude, it's like you don't want to play by the rules. It makes me peevish. I just wish you would understand. Rules are made for everyone. Well, the bottom line is, you're going to be kept on staff. What do you think of that? Oh, that's very nice, I lied. I look forward to staying. April 16th. I'm so exhausted. Run down every day. My whole life is different. When someone asks me, how was your day? I never know what to answer. I have 31 days every day. A different day with each child. A good day with Eric, a rough day with Billy. It's too much. They talk about rewards and gratification in teaching school, and there is a share of it, but they don't tell you it's like joining a monastery, or going to hell, or sleepwalking, or being afraid, afraid as you were when you were small. They don't tell you how it feels when you get dizzy in front of a room full of children, or what it feels like to tug at the terse bodies of children lashing, hating, 
fighting, spitting, scratching. They say now, in the education classes, you have to be everything to them. Counselor, mother, friend, on and on, the list. I hear the ones who have been teaching for many years run it off with a certain pride. Well, I don't think it's anything to be proud of. I don't want to play mama. I can't play mama. They need a real mama. And they need a real teacher. May 4th. Bibi has been wild, threatening other kids and being rude to grown-ups. He even ran out of gym class. He can't stop. He starts freaking out around 1.20. I can practically set my watch to it. Something clicks in him. It occurs to him that he doesn't want to go home or something. His dad is there in a wheelchair because he was critically shot in gang fire. So he gets in this big pounding fight on the playground at recess. When I broke them up, he called me a bitch. That was the last straw. I had a private conference with my principal. I'm sick of what kids get away with at this school. These kids are maniacs. Don't let the parents hear you say that, Mr. Turner looked from left to right, ever the public relations vigilante. Isn't it part of your job to see that teachers aren't subjugated to such behavior? Or is it my job to spend all day disciplining? You don't understand. They're black, he said. I blinked. So? I shouldn't expect them to learn? It's just the way black people are. The black child is different. They deal with so much. Drugs, gangs. I grew up with black people. They didn't all act like this. It's not about being black. It's about being poor and from people expecting nothing from you and from nothing happening when you say fuck you to your teacher. I felt myself talking a lot, mostly to block out what he was saying. If he's right, it's not even worth trying. We don't want to lose you, he said. If you can't handle it, take a day off. It's not a question of whether I can do my job. It's a question of whether you can do yours, I grumbled. He looked offended but I didn't flinch because I felt real mad. Same as white suburban kids have rules, these black kids can have rules. If they can't, maybe the union can explain to me why not. Bibi was suspended. May 9th. I've been really nervous about Bibi coming and shooting me. I don't know why I've been so nervous. I know the gang involvement is there, and there's so much about it that I can't understand. So I fear it. Will I be shot by a student? So many of them have guns at home. Why will I be shot? For suspending, scolding, letting someone cut in line? For giving too much homework? May 10th. Well, Bibi didn't shoot me for suspending him, and he came in with his mom, Roisha. Things are really hard at home. So if he starts acting out, she explained, it would be a big help if I don't call. I told her I felt sympathetic and wanted to help, but this is a school with lots of kids and lots of problems, and he's only welcome here insofar as he can be kind and safe. I told her that getting into a fistfight and calling me a bitch is neither kind nor safe. At this point, Roisha turned around and started pounding Bibi with both fists to the floor, right there in the hall. 
Bibi shriveled and whined. She screamed about his behavior and gang involvement and how she's not even going to think about it. I'm just going to have your ass hauled into juvenile next time you do any such bullshit. I pulled her off Bibi. She stormed off, disappearing around a corner. Bibi was hysterical, so I picked him up and hugged him and kissed him on the forehead and stroked the top of his head and told him it was going to be all right. Then Roisha came back and hollered, Don't baby this son of a bitch, his stupid ass don't deserve it. She punched him once more. I still tried to help him get it together. In ten minutes, he was going to have the Iowa test of basic skills administered to him. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. June 9th. The counselor showed me the kids' Iowa reading and math scores. Best in the school, she said. At least one year jumped for almost everyone, and several kids jumped two and three years. I feel like we did lots of interesting things this year. Some of my favorites, when learning about electricity, we made up a light-up quiz game. When learning about light, we put on shadow puppet shows. When learning medieval history, we built an accurate castle and then decorated it with colored marshmallows and put it in our fairy tale book display. When we learned about air, we had a bubble festival. When learning about Asia, we made sushi. We made video commercials to promote our favorite books. We had a book character masquerade party. We built a time machine simulation. We went to an outdoor Beethoven concert and visited Buckingham Fountain. The kids had checking accounts in a classroom economy. We had a cereal box supermarket and the kids learned to make change. We had formal debates on social studies topics. We made a book of fables. My kids write the best descriptive compositions. They have international pen pals. They illustrated poetry anthologies. They read and wrote treasure maps. They know all the dances from the 1960s. My mentor said, when you have a classroom of your own, you just can't do every idea you think of. I feel I came pretty close. I'm fried as an egg. My personal relationships have suffered. I see now why so many of the older teachers are divorced. I'm tired and lonely, but the children have enjoyed a measure of success. It can go on their permanent records for what it's worth. June 15th. I can't believe it. Yesterday, he called me into his office about Madame again. Again! Two questions. One, why does he care? Two, why do I care? June 28th. Last day of school. I had the kids write letters to the next class of fifth graders. It was neat to see what the kids remembered most. I like Ash's letter. The things you will learn are fractions, the preamble, the Bill of Rights, Beethoven and explorers, inventors. Learn about planets like Saturn. You also learn about solar power. You might read Tiki Tiki Tembo, The Wish Giver, Number the Stars, The Empty Pot, The Hundred Dresses, What's So Funny, K2, Herschel and the Hanukkah Goblins, The Sneetches, Bat Poet, and The Big Orange Splot. 
the rules are no saying shut up or bad language. You should be good in Madame Esme's class because she can be real mean. Zykina wrote, In my class, our rules are never say shut up to anyone. Don't talk back to the teacher, but we sometimes do it anyway. And no chewing gum, but we do that anyway. My advice is to try hard on your work. Be real nice and listen. Cooperate with your teacher and classmates. And just because someone's messing with you, you don't have to beat them up unless you want to. Zawila if you guys are worried she's mean, don't be, because she's one of the most nicest teachers I ever had. If you're nice to her, she's going to be nice to you. I'm giving you my word. You're going to have a wonderful time in fifth grade. The teacher should give you jobs. Every week she change your job. Let me tell you, my favorites are messenger, postal worker, launch ticket passer, line captain, jokester. And she read us this book. It's got like 300 pages called King Matt. Maybe she'll read it to you someday. One more thing I know you're going to love is a happy box. If you answer this question, she thinks it's hard, you get it. It's filled with toys, stickers, bookmarks. Believe me, you're going to love this room. Of course, I cried. There was so much I wanted to say. But the sands of the hourglass fell, and they left me single file. June 17, 1997. Here I am, three years later. I'm most surprised by how little has changed. When I hear the teachers at my new school talk about their graduating class, they say, they've turned into real ladies and gentlemen. They're all grown up. But when I saw mine graduate today, my former fifth graders from the old school, they looked so much the same. Perhaps their faces were a little less doughy, more defined. Are they stunted? Am I seeing them the way I will always see them? Am I the keeper of the ghosts of their childhood selves? Would you please now join us in saying the Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. On stage, some honor students, girls wearing new white high-heeled shoes, unscuffed, stockings, unrun. Little exhausting efforts to make this day elegant. I myself changed my outfit before coming. No silver shoes, no miniskirt, no shock, a flowered dress, a small nose ring. I'm getting old. Speeches about paying the price, success, follow your dreams, achievements of the past, achievements of the future. What about the present? The speeches begin to sound like pleas. There's nothing for you on the streets, a teacher's voice is amplified. The gum-chewing parents applaud. Do they say this at white kid graduations? Do they dress up like this everywhere when children graduate eighth grade? Look at the floral arrangements some parents have brought. Look at the cops outside, in case. This is a big deal. Someone crossing the stage is celebrating their only graduation. Should we hold our applause? or let it thunder forth. I taught at Mr. Turner's school two years. The second year, 
He gave me a lesser rating because I used up half my sick days. If you loved teaching, you wouldn't have gotten pregnant, he explained. And yet today, I don't feel my usual hatred towards Mr. Turner. He's far away from me. Besides, I should be happier now. My new principal is a true professional. She has more faith in me than I have in myself. After a year of thank-you notes in my mailbox, she called me into her office and gave me a superior rating. She seemed shocked when I started to cry. She apologized. I opened my mouth to explain, but I couldn't decide what to say. But I didn't break up any fights. But I didn't take any children home to hide. But I didn't raise standardized test scores. But I didn't fear for my life. But they don't ask for my love here. Instead, I just buried my face in my hands and choked. I tried so hard there. It was never enough. I don't work here like I worked there. I worked my ass off, and he never once. I trailed off. So, my principal now is Glinda to my Dorothy. So why aren't I happy? Is it the teachers there, drunk on worksheets and gossip? Is it the students, clean and coddled, polite excuse-makers? Is it the mothers, with their lemonade smiles, employed husbands, and tantrums when their child gets a C? I've heard that a posse of them rail on me weekly at the local manicurist. Some come in person, and as they yell and gesture, I can't help but imagine them speaking a subconscious monologue. How dare you? Don't you know my child is white? Don't you know he has mastery of conventional grammar? Don't you know we can afford college? Why aren't I happy? I left an abusive job for a dispassionate one. These thoughts are dispelled to my relief by the lilting voices of two girls on stage now, singing so beautifully that I squint to make sure they aren't lip-syncing. Wearing silver blouses and moving their hands through the air slowly, they're so much like mermaids. I cry for the first and only time during the ceremony, being reminded of what I'm missing yet being hard-pressed to define it. At this moment, graduates, please turn your tassels to the left. Yeah. I present to you the graduating class of 1997. People snicker. Those who can't do, teach. But oh, how right they are. I could never, ever do all I dream of doing. I could never, ever be an opera star, a baseball umpire, an earth scientist, an astronaut, a great lover, a great liar, a trapeze artist, a writer, a dancer, a baker, a Buddha, a thousand other aspirations I have had and only given one thin ticket in this lottery of life. In the recessional, as I watch them, mine, the ones I loved, I overflow with the joyous greed of a rich man counting coins. Wrongly, I have thought teaching has lessened me at times, but now I experience the teacher's great euphoria, the knowledge like a drug that will keep me. Thirty-one children, thirty-one chances, thirty-one futures are futures. 
It's an almost psychotic feeling, believing part of their lives belongs to me. Everything they become, I also become. And everything about me, they help to create. That journal of a first-year teacher in a Chicago public school was written and read by Esme Codell and produced by Jay Allison and Christina Egloff with help from Ronnie Hess, Steve Frankel, Mary Gaffney, and Johanna Zorn. It was first broadcast as part of WBEZ's series, Chicago Matters. Esme Codell's journal entries are collected in Educating Esme from Algonquin Books. The Life Stories Collection comes from a radio series produced by Jay Allison with his friends and collaborators. The editor and co-producer is Christina Egloff. Brent Runyon made the compilation. The music comes from Benjamin Verdery and Friends. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thanks to NPR's All Things Considered and PRI's This American Life for their continued support. Thanks also to Atlantic Public Media at member stations WCAI and WNAN, Woods Hole, Massachusetts. A CD anthology of the Life Stories collections available. Call 1-866-LIFE-STORY, or you can find it on the web at jallison.org. And if you have a life story, contact transom.org. That's T-R-A-N-S-O-M dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening. I'm Alex Chadwick. This is NPR, National Public Radio.